let me just ask you the most ridiculous question you've ever been asked in your life. Are you ready? Go for it. Did you enjoy us beating Arsenal late too? No, I hated it. It was it was awful. I, I felt sorry for it. Of course, of course. Fantastic result. What a fantastic result and fantastic performance. The style of play was excellent as well and uh, just, just all round positives from the game. Yeah, uh, uh, an absolutely stunning, stunning, stunning result. So I, I didn't watch the game live. I watched it the next day but, but I, I, I had stuff to do that afternoon so I, I was away from all kind of social media and the internet and all that kind of thing and I, I picked up my phone and I fired up Twitter and I saw somebody saying great and I just did a weird double take and thought what 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 are they talking about we can't possibly have scored eight so I fire up the BBC website and it says Manchester United eight Arsenal two and I'm pretty sure if I hadn't seen the thing on Twitter first I would have assumed it was a typo of some kind right yeah I mean it was bizarre it was truly truly bizarre and I, I, I guess uh, having looked at the Arsenal team sheet beforehand there would have been some thought that uh, United were, were definitely going to win the game and Ferguson said afterwards that uh, we saw it and we thought we should win the game yeah absolutely I mean Arsenal have a much weakened team but but then again if, if you'd looked at the United team sheet before the season before knowing what we know now about uh, the quality of the, some, some of the younger players and how they're performing this season you might well have said the same thing about uh, United and, and in the end I don't think it really boiled down to Arsenal having been without uh, so many players although of course uh, that, that was the mitigating factor it was because Arsenal's strength of squad is, is very poor and the quality just wasn't yet in there and in the end United's quality of play is far superior to Arsenal's quality of play professionals that uh, are at Arsenal basically shouldn't be there yeah I mean there was there's obviously been a lot spoken about what a week a weakened Arsenal side it was uh, I saw somebody say it's not a weakened Arsenal team it's a poor Arsenal right. team I mean yeah they're, they're weakened from their first 11 but that was their second choice left back uh, if you look at the squad playing and he, he was absolutely mullered all game yeah they they just didn't have any strength in depth whatsoever and, and no strength of character whatsoever I mean 8-2 sounds like it was a complete blowout from start to finish but that's not really true the, the absolute blowout part of it only really happened in the last half an hour I think um, five of our goals were scored uh, which is insane in itself and just shows you what kind of pitulation it was from, from that Arsenal side but you know at, at one point they had a penalty to make it one all yeah, they, they did although they, at no point I don't think was there a feeling that United weren't in control I mean they, they were far superior in terms of their possession use of the ball creating chances United created an awful lot of chances not quite as many as they created against Tottenham and 28 chances against Tottenham and not quite as many against Arsenal but uh, yeah a huge amount and so never felt even though there were periods where where uh, the score wasn't you know that wide uh, that uh, United weren't going to win the game it just didn't feel like that kind of match No it was, it was lovely to see De Gea get the De Gea sorry get the save from uh, from the penalty although one of the worst penalties I can remember for a little yes, while yes it was a very soft penalty yeah and then still even so uh, De Gea he got a lot of criticism for Walcott's uh, shot through his legs which which actually I think was unfair because uh, I think Walcott mishit it and De Gea was in the right position at the near post and uh, people have you know completely crucified him and justifiably he'd been beaten there at the near post so I think just the the power and, and mishit the direction through his legs is hard for him to do anything about that aren't you supposed to I mean it, it, you know you, you see you picture Schmeichel in your head he's always jumping with his legs wide apart and you know you, you make yourself huge and it's, it's not just about making yourself huge it, it's about balance so you can't move quickly to the left or the right if your legs are together try it try it and get, if you don't believe me go into the park and try and get across a goal with your legs stuck close together you can't do it you need to be able to push off so yeah so coaching uh, goalkeepers are uh, coach to be able to you know move on their feet much like tennis players yeah move quickly from left to right and it does mean having a certain distance between the legs uh, sounds kind of wrong that doesn't it but 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 anyway that's the, he was in he was in the right position I, I think it's uh, I think it's unfair and I saved it and actually I think you know, in retrospect you watch it three or four more times then it would have been very hard for any keeper to stop so at MUFC Jeff uh, raised a very valid and important point after the game which uh, I'd like to discuss with you now this this being key matter in our historic victory over the old enemy or one of the old enemies or the, the was an enemy once and now is just some sort of you know thing that you feel sorry for um, Anderson pulled funny faces at their keeper for two of Rooney's goals acceptable or not acceptable <laughs> yeah well, well I mean I don't know where the boundary is here I mean is that 
unsportsmanlike behaviour. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure I could define which law that would come under as uh, as as being unsportsmanlike. I mean, I know it's a, it's a, you know, I guess it's law 12 governing various fouls and stuff, right? But uh, it's really hard. I mean, you'd say it wasn't maybe in the spirit of the game. <laughs> it's, it was very odd, and and you wonder whether it did actually uh, cause Chesney to become distracted. I have absolutely no doubt that on the second one, which I think is where he does the celebration, where you know Anderson, there's that brilliant picture of him celebrating and kind of looking at Chesney and pointing at himself going out I put you off because on the second one there's a little wobble in Chesney's decision he goes the wrong way for a second first and I'm absolutely convinced that's because of the eye contact that Anderson makes with him yeah well look of course I mean players do this keepers all the time anyway alright it's not as if players aren't moving around when there's a penalty about to be taken and goalkeepers do the same thing move the ball and, and all that and then every single corner you see now a player will stand in front of the keeper it's not just to block their movement of course that's a large point but it's also to put the keeper off and make them think about something else other than you know where they're supposed to be in catching the ball so you know in one in one respect uh, the way what Anderson's done is, is not unique except it's just the way he's done it and the particular comedic way in which he managed it yeah he, he, it may not be in the spirit of the game but it's absolutely in the spirit of lols and uh, we, we encourage that sort of behaviour well I'm not sure I encourage that sort of but well I don't know I found it hilarious I think I think because Anderson has a certain charisma and charm and general friendly vibe it seems like good natured ribbing somehow even though it's you know high level sport and perhaps the laws of the you know perhaps the spirit of the game needs to be taken a bit more seriously at that level but I don't know I, I find it delightful when Anderson does stuff like that yes well I mean he's got that that kind of you know cheeky chap stuff thing about him doesn't he he has indeed a- another very 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 good game from Anderson that's uh, that's probably well that's every game this season so far he's played at least pretty well he's had a very good start to the season uh, he made a lot of interceptions uh, he's playing slightly deeper than cleverly at the moment but but uh, there's it's not really face structured midfield is it so it's uh, he's had a good start to the season as has cleverly I, I look you know don't want to don't want to sound like I'm on a downer here but there are definitely tougher tests to come than Spurs who are in a bit of disarray at the moment you know bottom legal whatever it is and, and Arsenal in complete disarray I, I, did, I do kind of think there'll be way tougher games for these two and bigger tests not not least Bolton away the next game for United and then Chelsea after that uh, two two pretty big games I think and we'll find out awful lot about Anderson and Cleverly in those games yeah if if the boss sticks with them because there's been a lot of talk about when when are the old guard going to come back you know when when is when is the I think there's an article on seven cantonals that called exactly that but 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 when is Fergie going to turn to Carrick and or Berbatov and you know or you know start a game with gigs in the in the starting side or part you know that will it be in one of these two games I, I think it's it's definitely a possibility but on the other hand there's such momentum around these young players it seems a real shame that international break has come when it does which it always does at this stage in the season it's a, a very odd thing this early international break yeah it is and it will spoil United's momentum and could well be we get injuries and it depends who plays and where and, and how many of them and, and all of that and of course some players do need some games and, and you expect Ferguson to rotate at some point I mean the, the problem is now that they, they've uh, developed such a dynamic way of playing that uh, what once that changes, it is going to fundamentally change the the makeup of the United sort of tactical side of things, isn't it? I mean, Park, yeah. Park comes in completely different player to Ashley Young. Um, Carrick comes in very different to uh, to Cleverly or Anderson. Uh, Fletcher comes back. Well, maybe he'll provide the kind of same kind of drive and energy that Anderson's providing now. But but I mean, it is in a way, it's very positive. Uh, in a way, it's not because you're looking at two different uh, classes of United play here. United 2011-12 season, the sort of dynamic pass and move attacking uh, style with lots of pace and the one with with I guess uh, I'm not I'm not beating up on these players but Carrick and Berbatov away from home much slower much more conservative and tentative and, and which one are we going to see when United turn up against uh, Bolton in a, in a uh, week and a bit is the Chelsea game at Old Trafford Chelsea game's at Old Trafford yeah Bolton's at the Reebok yeah I mean you know the, the, assuming say you get through the international break and there are no injuries he could just keep the same side because Bolton away is a relatively stiff test but it's not right up there with all the tests that are to come Money he, he played that side basically against West Brom only with the, the uh, more experienced defenders and then Chelsea at home I mean I don't know we're at home we, c- we can do anything at home it seems you know it's it's not it's not impossible no no, no not at all no, no, not at all I mean it's the um, it is uh, I know I guess we can talk about the, the transfer window now it's closed and all that but it is it's the consequence of United not investing in a central midfield 
this this summer. So we do have a lot of question marks over all the, the midfielders. Can Anderson maintain this form? Can he stay fit? T- two things that he has not done in four years. I mean, everyone hopes, everyone hopes that the Anderson we're seeing right now is the one that continues because then he's a fantastic player, right? Yeah. He's always had that in his locker and that's why people are so supportive. But for four years, he's not done that. He's had no consistency and he's not stayed fit. And it's mainly the first one. So that's a big question mark because history says he won't do it. B, can Fletcher get back to his best? Because we're talking two years ago since he's he's a significant influence. Even before he got ill last season, he was not having a great season. Can Carrick come into the side and, and be dynamic and not his normal passive self? Well, of course not. He's 30 years old now and he's not going to change. So that Carrick is that Carrick and we have to accept that he's going to be like that. Yeah, I mean, and then after that, we're into we're into Gibson. So, no! so the, 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 imba- yeah, the, the imbalance is still there. We don't we don't have cleverly aside a you know, a playmaker um, and we don't have a destructive player, not a natural one. Anderson's playing that role now, but it's not it's not really what he's playing. So so is the question then when when we face the toughest sides, when Chelsea came to Old Trafford, is Ferguson going to go to three in the middle or is he going to play the same way he did against uh, against Chelsea in, in sort of April in the Champions League semis where he, I mean, he played Carrick and Giggs in there as two ball playing uh, midfielders and, and is he simply going to swap those two out for cleverly Anderson? A lot, lot of questions and, and because United haven't strengthened, we haven't really had a, a resolution to some of those questions which we've been discussing on this podcast for, for well over a year. Yeah, I mean I have to say the the early season promise, I, I'm still I'm still giddy with optimism about the, the way this season's going to pan out because I think you know, even the best in the world are going to really struggle if they come to Old Trafford and we play anything like we did against Arsenal because yeah, they were definitely weakened which is why we beat them 8-2 but if they'd been on form, we'd have beaten them. You know, that, that team just looks it looks like when it gets going it's going to be pretty much unstoppable they, they get you from if the right one don't get you the left one will I mean not least because and I think this is really important to talk about the form of Wayne Rooney he has started the season exactly where he left off last season absolutely flying there was a piece in the Guardian this week uh, where he was saying basically the turning point for him was New Year's Day 2011 he had a terrible 2010 off the field and on and he just wanted it to get get it behind him and to, to get playing again in 2000. 2011. He's been absolutely amazing, and this team suits him absolutely down to the ground because he's got bags of room. He's the fulcrum of the team. He's the talisman. He's the big man on campus. All that kind of stuff. It's it's right, yeah. it's just so perfectly set up for Rooney to have an unbelievable season, and he started in fantastic form. Those those free kicks, albeit with a, an assist from Anderson's funny faces, were, were beautifully struck. Yeah, and and the uh, goal against with his head against Tottenham as well, and and he's playing. It seems to be working really well. Wellbeck, they they seem to dovetail really well and obviously Welbeck's going to be out for some time now uh, I mean he's going to le- miss the, the Chelsea and Bolton games at least but he's probably going to be out for longer than that so which is a shame but of course you know not, not a bad sub to have in, in Hernandez coming back no. in and, and uh, you know he'll be another couple of weeks further on in terms of his fitness by the time we, we come back from the, the international break yeah is he going away with Mexico do you know if, if, if I was a Mexico manager I wouldn't drop him for all the tea in China or whatever it is they have a lot of in Mexico Mexico are away in Poland tonight and then they uh, have a home match with Chile so I, I, that might well be in Europe I, I don't actually know that it's uh, that game was, was wonderful to watch if you're a United fan uh, and obviously I can't imagine the kind of torture it was if you were an Arsenal fan uh, Ashley Young's first goal he's been trying to do that ever since he signed that cut inside and curl one in from the edge of the area when they go in they're going to look pretty pretty good aren't they oh, well and, and, and the eighth goal as well I mean both two fabulous strikes from Young and hasn't he started well at United I have to say I was, I was suspicious of the young transfer not not because I didn't think he was a good player or that he couldn't fit in and in fact uh, fortunately I've been on the record about this I've had two pieces on Ashley Young over the last 18 months on, on rants I always thought he was a good player but a good player not a great one and thought I wondered whether he'd be able to um, up his game to the level of the rest of the Manchester United squad and which which clearly he has done in the opening weeks of the season absolutely a really interesting point made by our friend Awate who has uh, started a blog at a touch of pass.blogspot.com uh, we seem to give a shout out to a blog with an excellent name every week uh, and he was talking we were talking about two things one he was talking about the the fact that we're sort of playing a 4-6-0 effectively because Welbeck and Rooney are, are so fluid when they're in that formation and all the all the midfield are fluid so at any point basically any of the, that front six could be playing up front anyone could be in midfield I'm not sure that's quite accurate because I think Welbeck has played pretty much as a striker yeah I, I mean Ferguson did talk uh, after the 
Spurs game about Welbeck needing to provide a little more presence up front and he means means actually somewhere and it's going to stick uh, And but I mean he did he, just look at the look at the heat maps and the average position uh, stats and the influence stats and all you know all, all the uh, apps and uh, stats resources we have uh, these days you know give all us keyboard warriors a, an opportunity to analyse things in a, in a way we couldn't before but but he's definitely been dropping deep and, and of course that's Rooney's role now you know for the last six months or so to play the number 10 and, and focus on clearly wanted a number nine there but yeah very very flexible I mean it's not as if he's not exactly playing the, the false nine that Messi plays at Barcelona where, where there genuinely are essentially six players in midfield um, but the, the other thing that he pointed out, which I thought was really interesting, is that Rene Mühlenstein, uh, sorry, has, is, is sort of, a, he had a former role as a technical skills development coach at Manchester United, and his influence is really being brought to bear, and, and loads and loads of United's moves feature really technical passing, and, and particularly there's been a lot of back heels to really tremendous effect in, in a couple of the team goal build-ups this season. I just thought it was a really interesting little nuanced point, because it does keep happening we've got we've just got that front that whole front six are so comfortable on the ball and knocking it around to each other well uh, yes uh, they are and and uh, i guess it helps that uh, Welbeck and cleverly have been schooled in the united ways but yeah they're they're um they're technical players and so is young and so is nanny and 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 all of that so yeah it's a front six uh, you know of great technical quality and that hasn't always been the case and no but, i mean ferguson talked about this after the barcelona game he said that we're, we're pretty good but we're not as good as barcelona and and he was talking about not not just the quality of the sides, um, but the ability to produce players that are technically gifted. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah, cleverly and and Welbeck are two two good examples. But but of course Barcelona have produced like eight of those and or drove them into the side. So uh, that's the challenge really. And and uh, I'm not sure we're quite there yet. But yeah, definitely definitely a more technical side at the moment than the one we had last year. I mean the Barcelona thing. I was thinking about that as well because you know there, there's some degree of luck, right? I mean there's a huge degree of systematic um, and and carefully nurtured growth of a particular type of player at Barcelona, obviously. But the the particular crop of players that they've got at the moment, it's a beautiful combination of luck and judgment, much like the class of '92 was for Manchester United. Because Leo Messi is a once in a generation player. Wherever he's grown up now, he happens to grow up at the club that can make him blossom to the best of his ability but but you get him in your youth ranks and and you really have something truly truly amazingly special this is a perfect confluence of of events at Barcelona that has enabled this this team that they've built and and, you know I our time will come again I think there there was a time when we were probably the best team in Europe and and I I suspect that might happen again well well maybe I mean the the thing with Barcelona is there's not an obvious end to the cycle right now so no they actually have fairly young sides so of course Xavi is you know in his 30s now and uh, they're looking to uh, limit the amount of time or, you know, not limits, but reduce the amount of time he spends on the pitch because he had successive injuries. So, you know, hence the purchase of Fabregas. Uh, but they also have Thiago, who's coming through, is a fantastic young player. Uh, Iniesta is very flexible, can play anywhere across the, the midfield. So, and he, and he's in, what, you know, 26, 27 now. So, and Messi's 24. So, they've got a, a, you know, a really good age profile in their squad there. So, you know, if you, if you were looking at this logically and saying it's about time for the end of Barcelona cycle, it, it You'd, you'd still think they've got another three years. Oh yeah, no, I don't. I don't mean it's it's not it's not that time yet. Definitely not because they they've built a team to last ten to last a decade. You know, I think ten three years is is short. You know, uh, assuming they can bring keep bringing players through and of course buying players. They bought Sanchez and Fabregas. Yeah, yeah, they have to buy the right ones. I mean, Sanchez and Fabregas, you'd say are the right players. I mean, both fit into the Barcelona system very very well, and uh, obviously brought Thiago through and going to give him a, a bigger profile. This season uh, but in the past they haven't always I mean in the Ibrahim uh, disaster which cost them 60 you know, odd million euros or whatever it was wasn't the right one at all and, and there are still question marks over David Villa who's who's been given such a such a marginalised role in the side that's mental though isn't it there are still questions over David Villa 
Yeah, well, I mean, he scored 22 goals, 23 goals last season, which is a great return, but it's not a great return for Villa, is it? No, absolutely. Um, uh, talking of our system and technical players, we mentioned it briefly, but at John Blaze has asked us how we think Fletcher will fit into the new look system. And for, for my from my perspective, he basically fits in where Anderson's fitting in now. I mean, yeah. if, if you bring if if you bring in if you're playing the same system and you you bring in Fletcher, you've got to drop Anderson because you, you wouldn't want to play Fletcher and Anderson in there because then you lose all that cleverly brings to that attack. At, well you, well, you do, and, and of course the challenge with Anderson has always been his ball retention, which has been pretty poor. Much better this season, actually. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, which is you know, reflected in his performances, of course. Uh, I think you're right. I think Anderson and Fletcher together are, are, are now, I mean, if we're saying that Anderson is the kind of, you know, box-to-box, bit of ball winner, bit of passer, uh, and, you know, giving drive and energy to the team, then then they're very similar players. I mean, um, I think Anderson as the as the playmaker, I think that's, I think that's died to death. I don't think it's... It's, it's never, it's never, it's never worked. He's just it, the very rare occasion um, that he's uh, he's ever actually performed there. It's, it's been so sporadic that I don't think Ferguson trusts him. And the fact that Cleverly's in there and he is performing that role and he's doing it immediately well, it kind of shows that belief up for a bit of a myth. I think. So I've got, I've got a question for you as well. Before we finally move out, move off that Arsenal game. Um, actually, two questions. One, one which kind of comes into our transfer window talk as well, and is a bit more of a general question. But I'll ask my little specific question first, which is which was your favourite of all those goals which is my favourite god I can't, there were so many I'm not sure I can remember them all um, the I guess the first Rooney free kick uh, no no sorry the second Rooney free kick where he he, uh, he pulls a David Beckham and it looks like he's going to go to, with the natural angle which would have been at Chesney's left hand post and actually went into the far angle I mean that's a wonderful piece of skill to both get the ball up and down and to float it into that far corner so I think technically that was a brilliant goal and of course Ashley Young's opening goal it was just stunning it was, it was was fantastic I really like the nanny goal as well I just loved the way he lifted it over the keeper yeah well I was still swearing at him for, for trying to chip the keeper when there were two players in good positions not long before that it, it was brilliant he got the full Rooney for that one he got the full what the hell are you playing at look from Rooney yes that is that's nanny all over isn't it yeah it is it's incredibly frustrating and then and then wonderful um, I'm not swearing at nanny this season well, not that I swear anyway but I'm not even shouting at nanny this season I'm I'm completely relaxed about Nani giving the ball away in crucial situations because he's worth it he's going to do that everyone to just get used to it now just get used to the fact that he's going to get a ton of assists and a, quite a few goals and also loads of times he's going to do something really stupid at a key moment in an important game that's that's Nani yes yes but yeah I, I mean sometimes that uh, if it's a key game uh, like the last minute of the Champions League and he tries that and <laughs> I'm not sure he'll ever try it again so, uh, so anyway I mean was there any, was there anything more to take out of the Arsenal I mean is it interesting I mean it's, uh, of course they, they've panicked completely after the game Arsenal have and they've brought Mertesacker who I have to say I've never rated as a central defender I mean he's a giant German guy but he, to, to paraphrase one famous sentence he's built like a tank and he turns like one too I, I've no idea about Santos never seen him play Park has scored 25 goals in 91 games for a relegated side doesn't suggest to me that we should all be terrified of his transfer and and Benayoun couldn't get in the Liverpool side or the Chelsea side I don't think that's anything to be too worried about and then Arteta was a fine player two years ago has had so many injuries I have to say I thought the last couple of months of the last season he looked extremely slow and uh, perhaps living off former glories but we'll find out whether he can regain some of those glories in a better side yeah I mean that was the question that I was going to ask you really is what what you perceive of how what you think of the whole Arsenal situation um I, I think they've got rid of two world-class players. I'm sorry for the cliche there in, in Fabregas and, and Nasri and brought in four average ones, honestly. And that's I'm not being anti-Arsenal. I just think that's what they've done. And, and it, it seems to me like they've had no kind of strategy whatsoever because if they did have one, they'd have identified their transfer targets earlier in the season, realised you know, quite sensibly that Nasri wasn't going to sign a new contract and that uh, Cesc Fabregas was definitely off. And OK, Barcelona took a long time to get the money together, but, but they should have had a pretty good idea these were things were going to happen and they should have been pursuing their transfer targets and I think I think uh, they've been very scattergun there and it's it's been a failure and uh, I think exposed one of the myths of Arsene Wenger that he's very studious about team building and uh, it's not worked it's not worked I mean if he's spent six years now team building it's it's been destroyed very quickly. Merkasaka more like is what at in-game Rio had to say about Arsenal's uh, transfer targets the Merkasaka signing seems completely bizarre to me because 
he's just not very good. I don't think. I mean, yeah, he's he's just not quick enough. I, I think he's gonna. He, I've seen him be horribly exposed repeatedly. I've never quite understood how Germany haven't got a better alternative than Merksacker in the centre of defence. I, I just don't particularly rate him. I, I think Arteta potentially could could come very good again uh, if he is fit. Uh, if he gets his form and fitness back, I think he could potentially raise his level at um, in say a Champions League or or whatever I just think he, I, I've always thought he was a, a really excellent player and perhaps you're right perhaps injury has finished him but, but I don't know I think it's a bit soon to write him off like you I don't know anything about Santos and Benny Yoon I think is a very good player but the, the fact that he's not been able to get into the first team consistently throughout his career means there must be something going on yeah he's not cons- he's not consistent yeah he, he just doesn't there's nothing, not enough output there so but I mean I, I just think I just think the Arsenal situation is truly truly bizarre there must be going something going on there there's I have a couple of theories one is that Arsene Wenger has actually gone slightly crazy and, and I don't mean that disrespectfully I, I mean it really honestly and sincerely that he's actually got so entrenched in this idea this kind of self-created myth of playing this glorious football and bringing young players through and creating the English Barcelona you know um, but without without any of the actual resources needed to do that without having in place any other stuff needed and and certainly without the you know multi-million pound signings to bolster your young players Arsene Wenger's success was not built on that kind of football you know it was built on a really dynamic physical side you know the, yeah. the Overmars Vieira Petit Henri side was packed with incredibly exciting fairly expensively assembled I mean not expensively in relative terms but but not done on the cheap by any means and and this transfer the end of this transfer window just looks like he was beaten 8-2 at Old Trafford and suddenly woke up from a horrible nightmare yeah it really does it, it it really does. I just don't understand the last six years at Arsenal. I just don't understand why Wenger's been sucked into this belief that that he can only buy one type of player, and that's the small, technically gifted player. You know, and I, I know Barcelona essentially do play that way, but they are so technically gifted they don't give give the ball away ever. Yeah, and and they get away with it as well. I mean, they played when they, when they beat Villarreal five uh, nil the week. I don't know whether you saw that game. Incre- just incredible game. They played three at the back, and only one of them was an, actually a defender. Yeah. And that was a left back playing on the left side of a back three. So, so, and they don't have any natural strikers, and they basically played nine in midfield. <laughs> so, a new formation, one <laughs> nine. That's yeah, the the Barcelona revolution. Yeah, but I mean, you know, Arsenal have been absolutely nowhere near Barcelona. I mean, since they got you know battered. I mean, it was only two one that game, but they they absolutely destroyed them in the Champions League final that time. Um, and you know, last season. Yeah, they won the home leg, but they were completely and utterly outplayed and had a really good 10 minutes at the end. And, you know, Messi was not clinical in front of goal, which is not something that's going to happen every every week. And, and yeah, I'm just, you know, not for the first time, I feel kind of grateful not to be an Arsenal fan. And, and there was a time when there was a serious conversation about who was a better manager, Alex Ferguson or Arsene Wenger. And I think one of the qualities of being a really brilliant manager is being able to sustain it for a long period of time and build and rebuild and rebuild and never let that intense pressure because Fergie's pretty crazy from time to time but he's never gone the full red nap you know he's never completely lost grip of his own faculties which I think many many football managers do and I think uh, I think Wenger suffers from football manageritis basically yeah Ferguson's built and rebuilt and and, uh, and Wenger's not been able to do that and it's, it's been a crucial difference so and, and of course he's been encumbered with the cost of building uh, the Emirates Stadium which has been several hundred million pounds and it's limited their spending but but then again as we see from the, the financial results this week and, and uh, another 51 and a bit million pounds paid in interest over the last financial year United have spent 478 million pounds in the last six years on interest and debt repayment and costs and fees associated with it all so it's not like uh, Ferguson hasn't had his hands tied behind his back either no absolutely I mean it's 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 equivalent it's it really is and oh we could have built a stadium yeah yeah we did, fortunately we didn't need one which is a good job too because otherwise we've been in real trouble uh, so I, I guess since you bring it up let's let's talk about them them financials briefly what are the key headlines from the Q4 results? 
Key, key headlines. Uh, so um, year on year turnover, 286 million to 331 million. So quite a significant rise in turnover uh, driven by uh, a large growth in commercials. Uh, so it's the first year of the, the Aon shirt sponsorship. And there were the deals with Concho Toro and uh, a few others in there that we've seen these these kind of regional exclusive deals done. Um, there was a growth in, um, well, actually, uh, interesting point there with the commercial income. For, first time ever that um, commercials outside of main shirt sponsor and Nike uh, are, are larger. So Nike and Aon, uh, 47% of uh, our commercials and everyone else is, is more than that. So it shows you the growth of all these additional deals they've been doing. That's been very much an Ed Woodward driven strategy. So so that's one thing. The EBITDA sorry for using all these terms but the, the, the basically the operating profit before you take off special costs uh, plus interest and taxation and all that is uh, 110 million. Uh, so you know, improving once again United is a cash generating machine uh, paid out 51.7 million pounds in interest and a few other exceptional costs uh, mainly to do with the the forex uh, changes so we've got some of the bond debt in uh, pounds and some in dollars so that does affect the uh, the actual costs now and again um, and and then another one uh, so basically the glazers spent uh, i think it's 63 million pounds uh, over the last financial year buying back some of the bonds so um headline debt is 400 58 million and then uh, it means the net debt because there's about 150 million cash in the bank is about 300 million at the moment and that's all of the end of june so it's changed a little bit so all the transfers this season are not counted in that because they're in the the current financial year not the last financial year uh, and uh, there would have been a bond interest payment in uh, august as well so i, I guess united's cash flow is around about 80 80 million or so at the moment Right. Is the Glazers business model working? Yeah, well, uh, essentially, if you're the Glazers, yes, it does. I mean, if their plan was to increase commercial revenues uh, so they could both pay off the cost of their leverage buyout and increase the value of their asset, then uh, essentially that's what they've done. It it doesn't mean that there hasn't been a massive amount of damage done to the club. I mean, uh, that, that figure of $478 million I, I mentioned earlier it is, is real. It's how much United have paid in the cost of paying off interest over the last six years and cost of debt swaps and and, man, and, and various other stuff and that's outside of um, you know management fees and 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 all sorts of weird stuff that they've they've paid to other sources it's it's there's been a massive cost uh, yep that doesn't include corporation tax and it doesn't include dividends two of the things that united will attract post ipo if they end up paying down some debt however much that is i mean i suspect it's not going to be the full 300 million pounds of net debt and they're not going to drain united's bank account and uh, i i would be really surprised if they remove all the leverage altogether they'll certainly uh, pay down their own personal debt okay so allow me to just be devil's advocate for a second and has it been less bad than you might than you personally feared up to this point or has it been just as bad but we've got away with it because of fergie and some breaks our way yeah i i think the latter i'm I'm not uh i'm not being dogmatic about this my my uh my dislike of the glazer family is purely based on what their policies are right i don't know them personally i don't don't know them from toffee and uh it's not like I, I personally like the PLC board or Martin Edwards or, or Louis Edwards before it. You can you can make a call on Glazers based on what they do. So so has the outcome of what they've done been less bad than I, I thought? No, I, I, I pretty much thought that it would cost United 45 to 50 million pounds a year in interest. That's what all the analysis beforehand looked like. And it's exactly what it's done. It's cost United millions and millions of pounds in interest. And, and the effect of that has been to stop folks from spending uh, in, the, in the market to the level of which United could have spent otherwise. Now, now I don't think anyone foresaw exactly how big the growth in commercial income would be or the growth in media rights. Uh, it's been huge as well. And I'd, I would argue that's not been down to the Glazer family. It's been a boom in the football market. And one thing with the boom you should always be wary of is the is the bubble and, and uh, the bursting of that bubble. So has, has it been a disaster scenario when United went into meltdown? No, because they've always been able to maintain those debts uh, I, you'd also say if, if United had for example Arsene Wenger in charge and not um, Alex Ferguson he might not have been able to manage that on the limited budget that he has had uh, for that amount of time MBS, yeah no I mean I, I, I think those are those are all good points and, and, and I, I kind of I'm inclined to agree and, and you know it, it is a real shame 
that the club's been saddled with this debt and, and we are just we're so lucky to have Alex Ferguson as our manager it's it's you know if, you, if you're a United fan who's grown up only knowing Sir Alex Ferguson as the manager as as many many United fans have please 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 count your blessings because it, it isn't always going to be like this you know it's been an extraordinary you know it's been a, just an absolutely unbelievable couple of decades with him in charge and the fact that he's he seems to have built yet another team and one that is so dynamic and technical and exciting and and just brilliant to watch it, it just looks like it's further cementing his his legacy of success now i mean there are all the questions about his legacy in the sense of his involvement with the glazers and he sort of owes it to united fans to do that um if if i may plug the very very excellent uh united rant magazine uh, episode two of which uh, issue two of which came out this week uh, I, I wrote in it that you know Ferguson's attitude towards the fans seemed to have noticeably shifted he seems to be almost putting work into his relationship with the fans in a way that he hasn't so much in such an overt way in recent years the the famous bout of the Stretford end at the end of the season last season he was really overt in his praise for how much the, the, the fan support made a difference and there was that, that thing with the scarves you know the letter that came with the scarves it was a jolly nice letter and yeah it's a PR stunt and the fact that it's a scarf is is probably not an accident because maybe they're trying to get people out of their green and gold scarves and into red ones again. Um, but but it was you know he was you get the feeling he's genuinely grateful for the support that the team gets, or at least he's trying to convey that image. Well, yeah, maybe, and, and that hasn't always been the case. We'll see. I mean, he's still fervent in his support of the Glazers. I don't I don't know whether that changed post IPO because because the, the structure of the IPO is, is essentially not going to allow uh, any further board members or, or you know. A block of shares uh, at least with voting rights to be held by anyone else so um, I think the hopes that uh, any fans had of owning a, a large block or that someone else might come and loosen the Glazers grip on power is, is non-existent now it's just not going to happen I mean this if you haven't read um, basically they're going to list in a dual mode where half uh, well for every one share an investor buys uh, that has voting rights uh, there'll be another share that have, does they have to buy another share that does not so so basically if they put a quarter of the club up for sale 12 and a half percent of them will have voting rights um and uh, 12 and a half percent will not have voting rights that limits the power of any new investors and and it is a it's a it's a governance structure that is frowned upon in in most parts of the world uh, not not all but uh, it's basically not done in the uk it's not done in hong kong it's uh, it's, it's a slightly strange thing because it means that it's a, it's not one dollar one vote and you know there will be uh, you know your your investors because they have to buy into this dual mode structure will basically get one dollar half a vote i mean it's it's a really extraordinary thing it just goes to show what an attractive ipo a percentage of manchester united must be that people are prepared to sacrifice their voting rates i mean investors they they really care about that that kind of influence because it affects their bottom line you know a lot of smart investors would be very reluctant to get half the amount of influence in a company that their investment warrants financially i mean if you look at Take Dragon's Den, which for the economically backward like me is a really uh, nice, simplistic way of understanding equity in companies. You know, the people on Dragon's Den, if you said to them, okay, I'm going to offer you a 20% stake in my business for 40% of the value of my business, the the Dragons would say, no, no, we're not going to do that. Yes, well, there you go. I mean, we'll see. I mean, it's uh, it's attractive in, in if they're offering, uh, you know, I, I don't suppose a guarantee, offering a guarantee of dividends, but they'll have to pay dividends to new new investors. So that's the calculation. How how much will the dividend be? And, and obviously the bigger the dividend, the more attractive the IPO will be and the more likely they are to, to make their list price and, and get the uh, get the £600 million worth of revenues that they apparently want or, or whatever it is. I mean, we'll see. It's, it's hard to say anything more on that until we actually see the prospectus in, in, in the coming months. So the uh, transfer window has slammed it shut. Always taking, shut. It does. It takes, takes Harry Redknapp's fingernails off as he desperately tries to snatch Gary Cahill through the window, but doesn't quite get to to get him there. Um, incidentally, talking about Arsenal, why they didn't just completely break the bank for Cahill is beyond me. I guess maybe they just can't uh, afford to do that. Um, you just match the valuation, don't you, if you need a player that badly. But anyway, um, we... 
Our transfer business was concluded uh, well in advance of the season beginning, uh, as we suspected that it might be. Uh, no Wesley Schneider has arrived. He thanked Manchester United fans for their support during the transfer window, by which I suppose he meant all the tweets saying, please come to United. We'll, we'll be forever grateful if you do. Um, but yeah, the, the money just just did that that did not add up it just didn't add no, up no it never added up for me I mean, I've seen a, a couple of people message me uh, and said uh, this it, this wasn't actually the Glazers this was uh, Ferguson who had decided that um, he just didn't need the player and, and the Glazers would have put the money up for a global icon well you know I, I, I don't know I'm, I'm not sure I've seen the evidence for that I think I think in any case United's sort of under 26 transfer policy and all of that we've heard it loads of times it never it never stacked up for me never never for once believed that would happen not for a moment but um, that they you go uh, it hasn't so i'm not surprised do, do you think united missed out on a player it doesn't have to be schneider i just think a, a another quality central midfielder uh, we are just a little bit short i mean fergie must know that and he must have his eye on some people yeah well i i think i believe you know from from the word on the street that i'm hearing that he really does massively rate tom cleverly and believes this this guy has a future of being being united's next paul skulls and he, obviously a very different player but being of that level so, so well, we'll see my goodness that would be absolutely wonderful and you know there's definitely early promise being shown but listen perhaps more surprising than players not arriving is a couple of players in particular not leaving um at mufc jeff says uh, he's surprised that gibson and kushak haven't left and neither duf nor kiko have gone out on loan leaving united with seven strikers in the senior side and makeda in particular seems like a really strange one to me unless they because Duf, I think you can see him going out on loan to a championship side this season because that can still happen. But I, I would be very, very, I am very surprised that Makeda hasn't got a loan move. Newcastle were being talked about. That would have seemed to make a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I don't know why that hasn't happened. It is, it is kind of surprising. And uh, I mean, I guess it'll happen in January. But yeah, can, they can go to the championship for a few more weeks, can't they? And I, I think uh, it depends on where the transfer windows are in certain other countries as well. But uh, essentially, I think he's going to be staying with, with United until January. January and they'll reassess it but you'd think that Makeda is not going to get very many games and at 20 and it's his third season with the first team squad now he's it's not going to be a season progress for him and then then Diouf not too many people believe he's of United quality anyway but uh, the lad is coming up on 23 and uh, he'll play no games either. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I again, I think I think Juve will go to a Championship club on loan. That's my suspicion. Um, but but the Kiko one seems really odd to me. Why, why do you think it is that he hasn't gone on loan? I, I really don't know. I really they couldn't find the right uh, club that would guarantee him enough football. Uh, he didn't want to move. Yeah, they, they, it wasn't the right fee uh, for United. Uh, all of those things. So who, who knows? We may find out some more um, uh, in the coming days and weeks, I suppose. And maybe his agent will say something or Ferguson will say something I mean Cusack's in a very odd position as well I mean he's essentially fourth choice goalkeeper at United now so seems to seems to be an impossibility that he'll force his way back anywhere near the near the team and uh, I'm really surprised uh, he hasn't gone he didn't go to the, he didn't go on tour with United he's been in the reserves he probably won't even get very many reserve games because of Sam Johnston as well so um, he, he's going to unless they give him a free which they, they might well do but they'd be destroying a couple of million pounds worth of value that they thought they had there then uh, then he's going to be sitting around on his ass doing not much for quite a while yes yeah, it seems seems an odd one i mean and then darren gibson I, I guess they just couldn't find any takers yeah well there were there was there was talk of sunderland and that didn't happen something something about wages at least that's what sunderland said and then uh, gibson denied it and ferguson uh, kind of angrily reacted to that and there was talk about aston villa and that one didn't happen either and uh, and then he got the injury so again i think they'll look to move him on in january Right. Well, we'll see. We'll see if that happens. I guess. I guess maybe it does. I wonder if. If I mean, I think Gibson would have been would have been in or around the squad, wouldn't he? If he had a future at United over the, in the yeah, pre-season. and he wasn't. He wasn't. He was. He spent the whole preseason with the reserves. He didn't go to the states. He has no future at United. But a player that definitely does have a future, at least in the in the short to medium term. At Will Lum, Will underscore Lum uh, asks us: Will Rio walk back straight back into the team if fit? This is a fascinating question to me. I, I mean, I can't talk about Rio without saying the phrase everyone knows what a big fan I am of Rio Ferdinand I'm, I'm a huge supporter of Rio's I, th- I think he's ad- added an enormous amount to United during his tenure at the club he's got United in his bones now having having been there for such a long time you can he, he kind of knows what it means to be a United player but my goodness 
I don't know what I would do if I was Fergie and I had to choose between Jones and uh, Rio. I just don't know what yeah. I'd do. I mean, it might, it might be Evans that goes, but I mean, in, in a way, the uh, the the transfer, uh, sorry, the international break uh, gives us a little bit of break in that, and he, he won't be breaking the momentum up because it's already happened. So when it comes to the Bolton game, he can just assess it on form and fitness and and all of that, and we may well see Rio back in the side. I mean, look, he's still a, a super high class player, and I don't I don't think we need to get giddy here and, and talk about um, dropping Rio from the side. He's he's still very important to United, uh, and I think him coming back in doesn't really change the dynamic of the way United plays. I mean, it's not in midfield; it's different. So I think he will come back into the side. I don't think there's any hurry um, to have to play uh, Jones. I mean, Smalling's made a, a name for himself at right back. I, I don't know whether that's his future or not. I'm not sure whether he wants that um, or whether that's really his best position. But but for the moment, Ferguson's got loads of options, and yeah, definitely a difficult decision to make. It's 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 great though, isn't it? It's just great being able to talk about selection difficulties in defence because that hasn't been the case for quite 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 some time. Very, very true. The annual uh, injury crisis is upon us, and we have enough to cover it there's something we've got to talk about I don't really want to talk about it but we've we've got to talk about it Owen Hargreaves is a Manchester City player Ed yeah it's really bizarre I, I mean not only uh, given the amount of support he's had from United fans over the last few years and the amount of support he's had from the club and the amount of work he's put in and and look I don't I don't think he could be bitter about United releasing him uh, and he wasn't in fact I mean uh, he, he made one offer to play for free the club told him that he didn't really want to do that and he may he may want to think about that and and, uh, he agreed with that. I think I think the choice of club is bizarre. I mean, clearly he has it in his head that he's still a top player uh, and so that he should be playing for a top club. Uh, and I don't think he's going to City for money, per se. He's got millions in the bank and um, it seems like it's a heavily incentivised contract they've offered him. Uh, but, but the thing is, he's not going to play. Even if he is fit, uh, he's being brought in as a cheap alternative, uh, you know, backup to Nigel de Jong. He's, he's not going to play. He might not even make the 25, which would be really bizarre, but... But if you start adding up all their players, you know, it's uh, it's touch and go there. I've got really, really mixed feelings about this. I, I think that footballers back their own talent all the time. Sean Wright Phillips went to Chelsea, not not for the... I don't believe he went there for the payday. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong and he did. But I think he went there because he believed in himself and he thought that he could force his way into that side. And I think that Hargreaves believes in his own talent. He he believes he's a he believes he's a very talented footballer and he still has a lot to offer. Now whether whether he still has a lot to offer or not is is very open to question. Of course nobody knows that because it's been so long. He's played 10 minutes of football since 2008 if the stat mentioned on the football ramble this week was right. Yeah, yeah, that is that is right. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's actually less than that, isn't it? So he uh, he played about 5 minutes last season before the injury. He played 37 seconds the season before. Yeah. So I mean, now the one thing I would say is that I think that the tribalist response to this, I mean, to the defence of m- loads of you, know, I was talking about this on Twitter on Wednesday night, and I kind of expected to get a lot more backlash than I did get for saying, well, this is what I said, I said, people that say he should have gone to any other club other than City, because I, I asked, what should he have done? What would you have done? People who say he should have gone to any other club, he's been offered one more chance at Champions League football, competing for trophies. He had already offered for play for us for nothing. Fergie rightly said, that he needed the squad space. Uh, Hargreaves has missed out on the vast majority of his prime through devastating injury after devastating injury. If you still think he's a horrible sellout, good luck to you because I just find that the tribalism of how dare he go to City when we supported him for all those years, it's just it's parochial and ignorant and and it's just inhumane. This is This is a man who, just at the absolute peak of his powers, had his career completely robbed from him, never thought he'd have the opportunity to play at the highest level again, being offered a chance to play. Now, okay, there's arguments about whether City's the highest level, but they are in the Champions League, and they are very likely to be competing with us for the title this season. Why on earth shouldn't he go? Why on earth shouldn't he give it a go? No, no, fair enough. That is, um, and and look, I, I think it's just it's nonsense to to start talking about uh, player loyalty. They don't think like that. Yeah, they just it's a job for them. So he's gone to the the best offer. I think I think it's illogical of him though. He I don't think he's going to play that often. Yes, he's at a club that is playing in the Champions League. He's not going to play that often. It's the same calculation that Michael Owen makes at United. He says it's better to play occasionally at a top club than all the time at a lesser club. And I guess that's Owen Hargreaves' calculation too, and that's why he's gone there. But but West Brom wanted him, probably some others. He would have uh, he would have had uh, plenty of game time at those clubs. So so that that's his choice. He may well may well be all mooted 
anyway because uh, his his knees or his his brain. I mean, apparently it's uh, a lot of it's mental with Owen Hargreaves. So it just won't. Um, just yeah, won't work I mean, for him. I I I personally I cannot do anything other than wish him luck and hope that he's a success. You know, I, I don't particularly want Manchester City to be uh, successful, but I, I do wish Owen Hargreaves another day or two in the spotlight. Because that performance in 2008 was extraordinary. Very quick international preview, Ed. Well, England play a couple of times away at Sofia and then uh, home to Wales. And, and I guess a fairly large contingent in the England squad. They're Rooney, Smalling, Cleverly, Jones, all in line to start. Uh, Ashley, uh, Ashley Young should start as well. So they could have, could have sort of four or, or potentially up to five United players in, in those sides. I mean, I think Smalling will definitely start right back. Rooney Young will definitely start. It's touch and go on, Jones. Uh, Noises are that Capello likes him enough to play him, but they do have some experienced options there in Lescott and Jaglielka. Um, and then, then Cleverly's uh, an option, no Gerard, of course. Lampard's only just back to fitness, but will, will probably play. So um, uh, it will be a defensive player, prob- probably Barry and someone else, and uh, Wilshere's not fit either. So, so Cleverly's got a chance. I don't think he'll start. I think it will be four United players starting. I've not cared about England for quite some time, but I might start to again if uh, they play all our kids, especially when Welbeck's back if, if they're starting five or six United kids in the England first team I'm 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 going to have to watch England again. Yeah, uh, yeah. Until until the Wembley crowd starts booing them. Um, and and one more thing on the international front. Of course, we didn't talk about it last week. The Champions oh, yeah. League draw. In- interesting draw for United. Benfica, Basel, and Otelul Galati from <laughs> Otelul Galati, as I like to call yeah, them. Yeah, I know from Romania. And in true Alan Shearer style, we don't know a lot about them. Uh, <laughs> so I can tell you what it says on Wikipedia. They are the Romanian champions, and they were founded in 1964. And their stadium capacity is. 13,500. I have to say, looking through their squad lists, I don't know a single one of their players. And that's embarrassing. I have tried to do some research, but I just don't know them. I'm suspecting that, I mean, they are a first-time entrance in the Champions League. I'm suspecting they're not very good. Basel, we've seen in the Champions League a few times recently. They do have Jordan Chikiri. I don't, I don't know whether you've seen him much. A very, very talented left-footed uh, attacking midfield player. And I think uh, I think uh, clearly a threat from uh, set pieces and all that. But standard Swiss football's not really high. And Benfica, weren't champions uh, Porto ran away with their, their, their Primera Liga uh, by miles and miles and miles last season so um, yeah they're an alright side Benfica they made the uh, semi-finals of the uh, Europa League last season so you know they're decent but they, they kept Oscar Cardozo which is uh, the key one for them he's the, the very talented um, forward and uh, they brought Ezekiel Garay from uh, Real Madrid to bolster their defence so you know they'll be a decent side and of course that'll be the opening game for United over in uh, not the Stadium of Light the new stadium which uh, I've been past actually it's it's some way north of uh, Lisbon city centre we're going to walk that group that's yeah, United are going to walk that group. And in fact, I think we'll see what happened uh, last season. Ferguson will rotate for the Champions League and uh, it will help us through the, the sort of autumn-winter period. Uh, the, the only question is, um, you know, can United win six out of six here? And what kind of tactical formation will Ferguson play away from home in Europe? Yeah, we could see 4-4-2 away from home in Europe. Imagine, never thought I would say such a thing again. Uh, and, and one final thing on the subject of, of fans going away from home. Interesting piece in the local paper here in Kenya uh, and, and lesson to all Newcastle fans do not go on safari in your Newcastle shirt uh, the man believed to be from the Newcastle area died from injuries to his back neck and rectum headline safari Brit bummed to death by zebra a lesson it should be heeded Is that true? don't do it don't do it yep he was wearing his Newcastle shirt and this amorous zebra stampeded him and killed oh him oh my god that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life I, that's not it, that's not that's not is. funny how can we we can't end the show with that the brutal murder by a zebra of an innocent Newcastle fan that's uh, that's that's horrendous oh Her- truly 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 never trust a zebra yeah, yeah no I know that's and right. also if yeah no I was going to make some remarks but I'm not going to make any remarks because that that is a, oh well I'm really genuine it's not funny there's nothing funny about that story apart from the funny part of it, it, it that somebody's you know that that man probably had a family I'm I'm heartbroken oh devastating end to the Rantcast. I'm not sure I'm going to be back next week, but uh, I might be. I guess we'll look back on the internationals. Does this mean I have to watch England because we're going to have to talk about it, Ed? That doesn't seem fair. Up to you. Watch all the international games. United have uh, 20-odd players out on international duty, so yeah. Do, do do that, and we'll we'll come back and chat about it, and of course we can preview the Bolton game next, next weekend. Listeners, I love you, but maybe not enough to watch England. Uh, I might 
it might just be the highlights on my part uh, have a brilliant week everybody thank you very much for listening and we'll be back here same time uh, are we going to do one next week yes. alright we're going to do one next week see you then see you then